Hey guys, welcome back to Behind the Plinth, our new podcast here at Vector Health. Uh, today we have Jordan Moffat, exercise scientist, and Leighton Milburn, physiotherapist, on the podcast today. Uh, Topic-wise, I'm just going to hand it straight over to Jordy, and they're going to take us through it. Alright, so the first topic of today is going to be around the relationship between the physio and the strength and conditioning coach. Um, so obviously if someone is coming in with an injury and we're looking to get them in one of our emerging athlete programs, first of all, they're going to start off with the physio. So Leighton's going to take us through a little bit of um, the approach that they're going to take so they can get out into the gym. Yeah, so um, when anyone presents to a physio, normally we take care of that first um, 12 weeks unless it's something that's ongoing for them. Uh, from a sports-specific point of view, it's really that first 12 weeks that, that we focus on. If we can get them back to the sporting field in 12 weeks, then Bob's your uncle. But um, yeah, if we need to extend it to you know that six, 12 months, particularly for your ACL recos and your shoulder reconstructions, that sort of thing, mm. um, that's when we sort of collaborate a little bit more. But in that first 12 weeks, a lot of it's largely focused on uh, goal setting with the patient, what they want to achieve out of it, mm. what they want to return to, whether that's an athlete or just someone who generally wants to return to normal activity um, in their day-to-day -day life. So mm. we'll, um, yeah, we get a little bit of a picture about them as a person and, and what their goals are. If surgery is something that's indicated or if you know, their injury is severe enough so that they, they need surgery, normally we'll focus on a little bit of prehab um, to get them ready for that surgery and get them you know, ahead of schedule in terms of um, where they're at strength-wise and function-wise before they head under the knife. Um, if it's conservative, then we'll generally focus on preserving it um, for the first couple of weeks, trying to prioritise mobility, uh, things like pain management, swelling, um, controlling their symptoms, essentially. Um, then once we progress from there, it gets into a little bit more of the strength side, which is when S&Cs come in. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do, you know, between each other as well. We as physios can still focus on the strength side as well, but I mean, we do have the luxury of having guys like Geordie and, um, and Beck and Glenn in, in our clinic that do tailor their um, programming to people specifically and, and can give a little bit more from the strength side. So um, yeah, for that first 12 weeks, we're definitely a, a pivotal role mm. for the rehab side of things. But once we get into the strength side, that's when we start to work together a little bit more. So. Um, that's the roles from the physio point of view. Um, what about S&C, Geordie? So yes. one, once you get past that 12-week mark, um, what are you sort of looking at particularly? Yeah, 100%. So after that real, I guess, activation phase, isolation phase, we're looking to get a little bit more integrative. Um, so using our like hierarchy of flexibility, stability, strength, power, knowing where the patient athlete is at, where do they need to start at. Um, and then looking into their sport qualities, what are their biomotor abilities, what do they need, is it strength, power, speed, do they need balance, agility, is it flexibility, endurance, um, coordination, all those sorts of things. Um, and then just making sure they can dominate more so the, the primal movement patterns like a squat, push, pull, lunge, twist, running patterns, um, all specific to the certain joint angles that they're going to be exposed to yep. in their sport um, and yeah all that force absorption how well can they absorb force how well can they produce force and 
change of direction, all, all qualities that you are needed in terms of the, the court, field-based athlete, um, all take into account. And every athlete's different. Everyone's coming in at a different age, whether they're 10, 17. It's all going to be all different, but, yeah. um, but all the same in, in, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you guys are probably more from that force you know, specific with the data, the, mm. you know, the biomechanics side of things. Um, physios, I know we, we tend to do a little bit more in the treatment room, um, things to manage symptoms, um, little, you know, basic strength and conditioning programs to, to help manage symptoms and, and things like that. But Geordie, um, you probably do a little bit more with, you know, the specifics and, and the real functional tasks that, that are involved with um, yeah. return to sport and things yeah, like that. Yeah, 100%. We have the, the beauty of the force decks. Um, I myself, I'm more of a visual person. I do like having the data there because it's giving me and also the athlete feedback straight mm. away. Like looking at this, you've got symmetries from left to right. You're heavier on your right leg. Yeah. That's maybe why you're compensating on that right knee or just gives instant feedback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still a very big fan of just athlete in front of me knowing what body position is in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 100% definitely both have their pros and cons yeah and i mean you touched on four steps like that's just more of a for a patient that's more like an education thing Definitely. showing them what they're doing um, you can take a video of what they're doing while they're doing it um, basically just to give them visual feedback on what's going on to help them understand their impairments or their deficits a little bit better um, and then people like yourself would tailor the program towards improving that so definitely definitely 100 awesome Alrighty, moving on to our next topic, um, more so around our junior athletic development. You were actually in um, junior athletic development when you were younger here at Vector Health. Yeah, so yes. I've got a little bit of you know, first-hand experience with yeah, that cool. sort of thing. Did a lot of work with Glenn uh, going through school. Mm. I myself have been riddled with injuries, so um, yeah, I do have a little bit of... What age did you join that athletic program? Uh, I was 13 when yeah, I joined, okay. yeah. um, went right the way through school. I think I spent about two years doing the most boring programs that Glenn could find. Were um, those boring, pro like this is where I'm sort mm. of at, like looking at that in terms with some of the kids where they're mm. like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. But yeah. when we're talking about, we're just we're wanting you to nail the exercise, but mm. we also want them, you know, because some of them are... Some of them are 10, some mm. of them 11, 12, and it's like we still, they're still in that playful phase, so mm. we still want them to play. Yep. Um, how did they mix that up for you? Or did, can you remember what, what was sort of the basics that you were doing? Yeah, I, I remember uh, going through, particularly when I had stress fractures in both the machines, um, I did 90% mobility mm. uh, yeah, in, nice. in my programs, and that went on for 12 months, basically. So, okay. um, very, very boring stuff. But if I'm being honest, that yeah. was probably the best thing for me because mm. I, as a junior uh, with sport, was terrible for overdoing it. Just mm. wanted to play every sport, wanted to do everything that I could. Mm. Um, and Glenn was the first person that came up and said, hey, no, we're not going to do that. Mm. So um, I think more from an education point of view, it's you know yeah. the junior athletic development, even just the programs is is and just being around other athletes yeah, that's too. Right. It's and, like... and being around a lot of older athletes as yeah. well. I was I fortunate so. enough when I was here, um, few really really high level athletes sort of in their early adulthood ages. And it's always good know, to see when you're a young kid too, just like something that you aspire to. Like yeah. oh man, that's a, I want to be lifting weights like that yeah. when I'm older. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, 
yeah, I more from an education point of view, that's probably what I got the most um, out of it. Yeah, um, cool. Is that education and just learning that, you know, it's not the end of the world that you're not playing sport when you want to play sport and you're mm. injured. Um, yeah, so just that, that having that knowledge of mm. what you can and can't do and why you should or shouldn't do something um, yeah. probably benefited me a lot. So yeah, a lot of course. junior athletes coming through, I think you, you'll probably agree, they just, 100%. They just don't know. So yeah. it, and that's the importance of, of educating people. Yeah, definitely, definitely, 100%. Right, so with that in mind, Geordie, um, you know, from an SNC point of view, because you've probably got a lot more knowledge uh, than I would about this, particularly for juniors, how would you sort of go about changing and um, prioritising different mm. things during mm. the strength and conditioning program for someone that was, for example, 10 years old, 14 years old, 17 years old? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So 10 years old is probably like the youngest sort of athletes that mm. we have coming in through here at Vector Health. At that age, it's it's really about they're still wanting to play. They should be mm. still outside of that point. You know, they're, they're running around, playing with the ball. It's on the monkey bars. It's it's all about games, mm. but it's it's about the basic motor skills too. We're, we're trying to still nail the, the catch, throw, the jump, the land, the hop. Um, Repetition on repetition, um, so they're, they're still we're still wanting them to nail body weight exercises. So we want them doing their push ups, pull ups, um, basic core exercises, able to stiffen the body because um, they're coming in, they're all pretty floppy yeah. and yep. and and we still want to keep that that that, that flexible that that movement because most sports we still want that we don't want to be too stiff because mm. a lot of people can be too stiff. Um, but yeah, around that 10 to even 13 age, it's, it's really around just basic motor skills, jump, land, body weight dominance, really going off the ASCA principles mm. of, of push-ups, pull-ups, variations around those, um, and just trying to give them as much of a movement library as we possibly can. Yep. And then you'd probably move into more of that 14 to 17 years old where you're looking at more loaded patterns um, start to you can look at energy systems then of like what position they might be playing in sport where we can tailor that to mm. are they only spending 10 minutes on the field and coming off are they a front row or are they a fullback all right where what do they need to do in that time um, and then yeah as they start to progress we look to play with more things like barbell variations all the things that they're yep. looking at the, all the older yeah. athletes doing and you know Jordan when can I go do that and it's yeah. like you know yeah. there's time there's a, there's a time and a place um, yeah and it's a hard thing as a kid when you see older people doing that and you know you want to do it you really want to get into doing that sort of stuff but from a you know, development point of view. Yeah. I think you'll probably agree. And it's, it's like, I'd love to chuck you under the bar, but yeah, it's right. just like, it, there's a time and a place. And yeah. I've seen a cool little um, statement just before, but like about repetitions. Mm. It's, um, so for a new motor engram, a new movement pattern, it takes approximately 300 to 500 repetitions to physically nail the exercise. Yep. yep. So for all the kids out there wondering why we're giving them reps and reps on exercises, yeah. that's of, why. Of really basic stuff too. 100%. Like a push-up, that's, you know, a push-up's probably the most basic variation you can get into that simulates a bench press. Yeah, definitely though. But it's just like being able to dominate that own body weight, yeah. it gives you that sense of just like, okay, I feel a little bit more in control. Yeah, yep. yeah. And then I've seen a, another cool little statement. So this one actually hit me 
pretty hard. It's like a faulty motor engram takes around 3,000 to 5,000 repetitions to unravel that and bring it back into where we actually want it to be. So, yeah. so, so when you say faulty motor engram, are you talking more, you know, patterns of movement, so technique, maybe, that yeah, sort of thing? 100%. Yep. Yep. So if we're looking at the lunge and we're getting a little bit of a hip drop or the knees caving in, mm. it's like they're just doing that over and over and just rushing yep. through their reps and they're like, oh, I'm finished my program, mm. Jordan. It's like, that's where we get a little bit more detail. It's like, okay, show me those reps again. Yep. It's like, okay, that's not where we want yep. you to be. So we yep. need you to slow that down a little yep. bit more, using a little bit more tempos, mm. maybe less load, maybe a little variation. Maybe that lunge wasn't for them. Maybe they needed to step up at that time or something yep. like that. Yep. And that would mean, you know, three to 5,000 reps of, of good quality stuff 100%. as well. Like, obviously you don't want to train poor motor patterns. So that would have to be, you know, to the T. 100% really good like technique with that sort of thing. Well, what we're seeing in the gym, it's like it's probably going to correlate over to the field yeah. then too. So it's right. like we want as much quality in the gym as we possibly can. So mm. then they can take that and it's like we're not here to teach them how to play mm. rugby league or how to play netball or how to swim. It's like mm. they're coming here because they already know how to do that. We're just trying yeah. to promote that a little bit more. And, yeah. you know, the worst thing would be sending them out of here a worse athlete than what they came in. So Yeah, but I mean that ties into injury prevention as well. Like 100%. you don't want to train poor motor patterns. You want to get the best out of what you're doing. And, Definitely. you know, that does come down to injury management and prevention as well. So definitely um, keeping someone on the field is the hard part. Getting them back to the field, you know, from a physio point of view is the easy stuff. It's yeah, keeping them there that, that yeah. is really the struggle and that's where people like you come in and you know try to prevent things from, and from then happening. It, that's the beauty of our practice too. It's like, okay, someone is like a really good mover, but they have, you know, they may have had the little niggling mm. injury or something like that. So, sweet, I'm able to send him to Leighton, yep. go have a chat, see what he can do. And then come back out and get back into your program again. Mm. It's like the, it's the beauty of the practice. It's like we don't have to do everything ourselves. We, we've got the ability to, okay, I need you to go see this person. Yeah, it's that's like right. Collabing and it's, a, it's the beauty of it. Yeah, exactly. Multidisciplinary team. That's that's the good thing about why we're here. 100%. So, 100%. so with um, injury prevention in mind, like we did touch on, you know, faulty motor patterns mm. and, and good motor patterns and leading to injury prevention. But... I think another really important one is, and we talk about it all the time, is recovery um, mm. and management of symptoms, things like that. So um, in terms of, you know, junior athletes and athletes or general populations, you know, in general, um, what, are you, what is sort of your biggest three points for recovery and, and encouraging that, you know, yep. ongoing recovery of symptoms? Yeah, so biggest three for myself and then what I'm trying to get through to clients and younger athletes mm. and and so forth is number one for me would be sleep. Yep. It's just a no-brainer. Um, yeah, 100%. It's, it's that's just, my number one too. Yeah. It just like, seems so, you know, it's free. It's yep. free. It's free recovery. It's It's got the psychological. It's got the physical aspect. Um, and who doesn't who doesn't love sleep? You, yeah, you know, right. you just have to feel the body to be like, okay, I'm running on low sleep. Mm. How the mental capacity, how well my tissues feel. Mm. opposed to when you get the eight hours sleep, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, it, it's totally different. But then we can talk about complications of sleep, yeah. Yeah. routine going into mm. sleep, phones, screens, yeah. like yeah. that exposure to light, release of cortisol, releasing stress mm. hormones, not being able to get in that rest and digest state, yeah. um, which I think is a very big one for yeah, not only kids, but then, you know, 
adults these mm. days too. It's like we're all exposed to yeah. these things. Yeah, I did actually read a, a pretty good study um, the other day regarding sleep and even just when you work out during the day. Um, there's a lot of evidence out there regarding, you know, heightened adrenaline levels when you're mm. training at night. That can be impacted by caffeine, you know, mm. everything throughout the day. So yeah, it, and, and routine of sleep as well. If you're not going to bed at the same time every night, you're not gonna get the same quality yeah, of sleep just, as you would, even if you got that same duration of sleep. It's, it's not gonna be the same quality. Sleep-wake so. cycles, hey, like yeah, waking up the same right. times, going to bed the same time. Mm. And it, it, it's something you really have to be conscious of. You yeah. know, it's like you can get caught just you know, watching something on Netflix or something. Yeah, that's right. Man, it's 11 o'clock, it's like, mm. you really gotta, where your values are in terms mm. of, okay, I'm gonna to train tomorrow. Uh, I need to get. I need to be in bed by. You know, I need to be asleep by yeah. ten. Or yeah, that's right. It's having those values around that. Mm. What would be your number two? Number two for me, mate, would be nutrition. Nutrition. Nutrition yeah. would be yeah. definitely number two. Mm-hmm. Um, especially just around. I think about inflammation around the body mm. and how well that can function with muscle, yeah. bone, nervous system, everything along that with fascia. Yeah. Um, it's like if you're eating something that is causing bloating, yep. uh, a skin breakout, yep. reflux, anything like that is, to me, is shutting down the abdominal wall. Mm. That That is inhibiting something and there's something going on there. So for me, nutrition, eating whole foods, um, getting the right ratio between your protein, fat and carbohydrates. Yep. Yep. Um, Do you, when you talk to people about that Mm. inflammatory phase of recovery and Mm. nutrition do you often go into you know your anti-inflammatory foods your omega-3s your inflammatory foods and Mm. how that does impact recovery Mm. that sort of thing definitely do touch on it but then i like to try and simplify it a little bit i like to look at it as a hot and cold sort of aspect where it's like you look at inflammation, you look at itis, osis, all, the, all those sorts of things, it's, it's heat. It's, yep. it's, and w- what's creating that heat? It's like, I look at the belly as like a furnace, like a fire. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, how much fire is in there? Yep. What, how dry is the tissue? It's yep. like, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm looking at, okay, how do we cool down the body? It's like, we, we've got to feed the cells what yep. they need to actually provide information mm. and energy in the body. Um, which actually comes into my third point of yeah. number three, big one for recovery would be hydration. Yep. Getting your water in, it's like, mm. it's, that's another no-brainer. It's like coming back to that cold aspect. If you've got a hot inflamed system, it makes more sense to dilute it with a little mm. bit of fluids. Yep. So, um, which again comes into even electrolytes yeah, as well. Definitely, hydration, yeah. water is one thing, but Minerals is another. Exactly, minerals is a completely different can of worms and and you need that for things like cramping, you know. Looking at minerals, man, is like the key to the door. It's unlocking, allowing actually hydration to happen. Yeah, and you know, you'd be surprised all of those electrolytic salts are are pivotal for muscle contraction and Mm. relaxation. Mm. So when you get things like a cramp, generally it's because of imbalances in your electrolytes and and not just because you might be dehydrated, but Mm. because you're dehydrated in salts so yeah even salt in diet that ties back to nutrition it you know a good amount of salts and and electrolytes in your diet is is great for recovery as well definitely like water is one thing and like 
that's the first things for clients is like just getting your intake up just mm. knowing how much water you need to be drinking yep. okay cool you're doing that now let's think of you know just more bang for your buck mm. thinking about your minerals adding your salts into your water just unlocking that little door so we can actually feed the cells mm. of what they need um, but then you know you can look at more things into water quality too yeah. if you want to go a little bit deeper into that but it's it's intake it's minerals it's yeah. allowing that those processes to happen so we can we can benefit from that recovery mm. yeah so. exactly um yeah mate i think you've hit the nail on the head like sleep nutrition definitely um hydration definitely number three mm. i think starting to come into the light now there's probably a close fourth in in temperature change and mm. you talk about cooling yeah. down the body 100 things like ice baths cold showers that sort of thing that can really manipulate metabolism can mm. manipulate that that vasoconstriction and dilation yeah. of your blood vessels and therefore impact you know new blood coming to muscles and things like that we um we talk about inflammation with you know just around the body with injury mm. with, with, with anything. muscles with, with anything. anything that's also a big factor in delayed onset soreness mm. so you might find people you know getting really sore from doing a gym session and they're wondering why and they're mm. saying oh you know the muscles damaged it's actually not it's largely because of pressure mm. so when you work out when you when you fatigue a muscle you get this build up of inflammation which mm. you know we touched on before and it's not necessarily pain that's causing that that soreness. It's pressure because we have a lot of pressure receptors in muscles, and mm. you know all of that fluid buildup just puts mm. you know alarm bells in your muscles mm. because there's that much pressure going on. Yeah. So again, that's a massive thing, and and heat and cold can really impact the amount of inflammation that you get in the muscle, and therefore impact that that soreness that you get. Yeah. So, and we're, we're always looking for you know stimulation. We're, mm. we're looking for the coffee. We're looking for the, the hot food we're looking for you know the phones whatever it's it's phones are heat as well it's like you hold your phone long enough and it's yeah. got a bit of heat in it yeah it's, that's right and then all we've got to do is probably take a cold shower mate and you know that might might fix a lot of things well that's exactly right it you know hot and cold impacts everything we mm. can talk about this for two hours you know based on all the different effects that it has on muscles your hormones your mm. you know your metabolism everything mm. we don't have you know two hours to talk but there's so much that we can grasp on and maybe we will grasp on it in, yeah. in another Most podcast definitely. episode you know that's something that we can definitely talk about if you know if the viewers want us to do that but so three big ones sleep nutrition hydration and hydration. a fourth one possibly temperature change yeah i think i think temperature is probably a big one that's coming into light now finding um, a fine balance between hot and cold and yeah that's right yeah. yeah you know heat produces inflammation and cold is known to help reduce inflammation uh, more from a pain controlling point of view we, we would prescribe that but um, for recovery definitely it's it's a big thing for that vasoconstriction which in turn reduces the amount of collecting and pooling of, of blood um, mm. in an injury site or, or in a muscle after activity so lovely yeah it's it's uh, a big can of worms love that awesome easy thank you very much guys cheers guys we'll see you next time